1: Welcome to 1964 Beatles for Stones. How's it going? Happy to be in 1964. This year, I will be representing the Beatles. On the last episode, we did our draft and we picked all of our years. I'll be representing the Beatles and they put out Beatles for Sale and Hard Day's Night. Not in that order though. What did the Rolling Stones come out with in 1964?
0: Self-titled Rolling Stones album and another album called 12 by 5 which has um, kind of like very similar. They're both, the album artwork is just the Rolling Stones standing in suits. So that you could probably pretty easily mistake them for each other. You can mistake them for each other by listening to them too. <laughs> <laughs> it's called consistency, baby. They are consistent. You knew what you were going to get from the Rolling Stones in 1964. If you, if you hear the little
1: like high end guitar lick that starts off Johnny B good, you know, you're about to hear one of these two albums.
0: Yes. Yes, for sure. <laughs> uh,
1: here's some quick trivia, real quick. I wondered, like, what does twelve by five mean? What is what's this title? Do you know?
0: No, I I, I. I. Is it like no? I don't know. So I didn't either. But what I found in my
1: research is that the one of the EPs they put out in the years leading up to this, what or maybe the previous year, was called Five by Five, which is five songs by five. Uh, Rolling Stones, because they'd already kicked out the old piano right. player. <laughs> and uh, this was the like, hey, we need to squeeze some more money out of this. And uh, let's flesh this out to 12 songs, call it 12
0: by 5, put it on the racks and let these babies sell. And sell they did, my friend. Exactly. So I, I have a question for you right right away. Had you ever listened to Beatles for Sale before undertaking this project?
1: Absolutely, I had. Really? Yes. I think, I think maybe it's one that my dad and my dad's older brother owned. And so it like, I've heard it talked about in my house. And so maybe it's one of those things where in my head, that album is just as gigantic as Hard Day's Night or something like that. But really it just was in my dad's house because I was doing some, as I, as I was researching, reading about it, like 1964 is like a, bonkers year for the beatles i mean it's the year they straight full-on blow up and this is put out at the end of that year and a band that had been like carving out this lennon mccartney were becoming two of the greatest songwriters and they're writing all these songs beatles for sale comes out at the end of the year and has a good handful of covers on it
0: it does have a good handful of covers and, and not so good handful of covers if you ask me um I feel like Lennon should really apologize to Chuck Berry for his version of rock and roll music. That, that is such a crappy cover of that song to me and a song that's been covered many times. Um, shame on you, John Lennon.
1: Well, I mean, you know, I'm not going to like die on that Hill, uh, but, but but it's, it's, uh... Hey, I'm picking my
0: shots here. Okay. I'm, I'm going straight. I'm, I'm going straight for the haymakers. Okay. All right. Well tell me how is, uh,
1: How does it compare to the Rolling Stones putting up in the same year that the Beatles are like, like you said, putting out eight days a week, songs like eight days a week and Mr. Moonlight and hard days night when the Rolling Stones are doing covers of under the boardwalk. How's that?
0: Okay. So here's, 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 here's my argument. Here's my take on that. Two things. First of all, the songs that they pick to cover are great songs they they do an excellent job of choosing their covers so that's that's the first thing the second thing is and, and this is this is a big i'm making a, a i'm advancing a really large argument here so in the genre of white rock and roll bands covering and or ripping off blues and r&b musicians you're you're
1: stepping down a a slippery slope right now. So,
0: well, uh, let's. I'm just saying that whole. I would almost I almost wouldn't even include the Beatles in that. The Beatles dip their toes, like you know they had they throw a rock and roll music on something, but but they're they're less that to me. My assertion is that of all of those bands, Elvis, any of these bands that were covering ripping off black bu- blues musicians and songwriters, the Rolling Stones did it the best until they became. The Rolling Stones and and uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards started cranking out mega hits. They were the best any band ever did that.
2: Yeah, twelve o'clock. Yeah, the place was packed. Front doors was locked. Yeah, the place was packed. And when the police knocked, those doors flew back.
1: So essentially, what you're telling me is that. You're looking at these two bands in 1964, and one of them is a collection of white British guys covering really good um, music written by Black blues musicians, over, like about five years, six years prior. And that collection of white dudes playing blues covers is better or more important than the band that is... Uh, writing some of the most important songs in rock and roll history on their own and like debuting on Ed
0: Sullivan. Well here. Okay. So here, let, let me reframe <laughs> what you just said. Would you, would you, would you, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm really going to like be leaning on every like debating tactic and nuance that I can in these discussions, especially if I, if I'm, you know, at a, at a disadvantage, if I have the lower ground here, would you say that a hard day's night, and Beatles for sale is like ranks in the top tier of the stuff that the Beatles ever did. Not, not, like the individual songs, but those albums collectively, would you say it's even in the discussion for, yeah, these are the best Beatles albums.
1: What I, here's what I'll say to, to try and understand the many different uh, types of people there are in the world and the different, different kinds of music listeners is that they are not for me, but they are, they like for my and I grew up on a lot of classic rock and, and folk music and everything, but they very much are for my wife who grew up on like oldies. And I think that's true probably of my dad
0: as well. The next part of my argument is again going back to if you if you if you take it as like this are the Beatles doing the Beatle things and Rolling Stones are doing covers of other <laughs> blues bands that they are at the zenith of being a blues cover band where in 1964, the Beatles, as good of a year as they had, they were not at the zenith of being the Beatles. Okay, Ryan, fine. <laughs> uh,
1: let me let me paint a picture of where, because you, you you gave a good sense of like where the Rolling Stones were at this time and what they were doing, and like I mean, these are cover songs, and there's no hiding that they're this is what they're doing at that time. And I agree, they're doing it well and with a whole lot of uh sexy swagger. But what the Beatles are literally doing, starting in 1964, in early 1964, you know what they did uh, for 18 days. Leading up to the Ed Sullivan show, which happens in '64, which is are like arguably one of the biggest music moments in history. Tell me, they played the Olympia in France for 18 straight days. That's like a a giant venue. Not so not 18 straight days. They played 18 shows in like 20 something days. When you when you take that and stack it against the Rolling Stones spending 1964 covering. Uh, covering um, blues songs and fleshing out a five by five EP to put 12 songs on it and stuff. I'm, I'm quite frankly, a little bit offended that we're even having this conversation right now. You
0: know, you know what else they were doing in 1964, the Beatles being losers. They literally have a, a song about how they're losers. What they are is being honest with themselves and introspective. You know who else they're being honest with? they're lovers. And you know when John Lennon's being especially honest, when he wrote the song, You Can't Do That. Would you care to defend the song, You Can't Do That? Shall I describe what the song, You Can't Do That is about? Which is honestly actually a a very catchy song. Uh, It's about how John Lennon is telling his girlfriend that if he catches her with another man, he just doesn't know what he's gonna do.
1: I think when I thought we would debate on this show, it'd be like, oh, we're like high schoolers who are mounting our cases in a in a, a civil debate, but really, I'm in like a. I'm, I'm in like a, a Fox News moderated political. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me where I'm like. I have lying. a response. I have a response for this. Okay. So what the Beatles are doing at this time, first of all, the first thing that they're doing is writing their own songs and writing some of the most unforgettable songs in pop rock music history that that's established though. What they're also doing this is and this is about to change as we go into 1965, 1966. This stuff changes in a hurry, and honestly, it changes in a hurry for, for both bands. But the Beatles are establishing themselves as some of the best, hit-making songwriters, just with just a. I've said this in the last episode, but just a, a sense of melody and genius songwriters. But they're not writing to express their own personal stances they're not writing about themselves they're not writing as sort of like putting these things in their diary they're basically channing the uh channeling the populace they're channeling their listeners they're talking to uh star-crossed lovers um people who feel like losers (laughs) they'll see stars, (laughs) and 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 they this is what they're doing there they're they're uh they're they're channeling um everything from teenagers in America to the working class of Liverpool I'm,
2: a loser, and I'm not what I appear to be of all the love I have, won, I'll have that's
0: fine I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one all right here's here's another argument that I will toss out to you um, that's that will be maybe maybe extremely controversial um, eight days a week stupid song. Eight days a week. It doesn't make any sense. I get that it's like something silly that Ringo said one time. The whole song is stupid. There. That's what I'm saying. Have you ever heard of a little thing called hyperbole? Do please do tell. Tell me about hyperbole. Like, I mean, we're, if seven days a week isn't enough, it's eight days a week. Like, but this gets, yeah. I guess, to a broader point, which is that these songs the, the on these two Beatles albums are so kitschy and so cheesy you know the rolling stones yes okay let's move past the fact that they are cover songs the the beatles songs are all of these star-crossed lover just whiny i'm a loser no reply oh she i tried to call her up i got no reply when 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 eight days a week hold me love me the rolling stones are not about that okay they're about, I just want to make love to you. I'm just telling you, I, I don't I don't I don't care about any of this other relationship drama, this gobbledygook. I just want to make love to you. As simple as that. And that's that's what I'm coming for for my rock and roll music.
3: I stand before you
2: with my heart
3: in my hand. I to your mama, that you understand.
1: I won't take shots at how the rolling stones sound because i love the way they sound in this in this year but pretty safe space to come from when we're saying hey the Beatles are are doing these things that i can criticize where the rolling stones aren't doing their own version of them they're just uh riding other people's coattails basically
0: Absolutely. I'm going to be in the safest space possible. (laughs) I have have to, I feel like I have to be on the attack this year because there's just not a lot from the Rolling Stones or the Beatles got a head start on the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones are furiously taking notes as quickly as they can. Um, And, and I feel like something needs to be said for the excellent, you know, choice of people to be inspired by from the Rolling Stones when you have people like Wilson Pickett and Jimmy Reed songs that they're covering Solomon Burke like these are these are great titans of blues and R&B and soul music and I respect that I appreciate that
1: yeah I want to ask you something about well here I'll, I'll speak first on this um I can't stand the the whole Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours theory, like talking about the Beatles in Hamburg and that like, Oh, you could have just stopped right at the first clause of that sentence. Me, <laughs> but. Yeah. All right. Well, good. And then we can, this can be a good spot to bond. Okay. But of course, if someone is playing endlessly and putting in time, they're going to improve at things. But the idea that John Lennon and Paul McCartney like logged hours in Hamburg and that's how they became the people to write and play these songs is so like you read that, you you know, you're reading a person who doesn't, is just sees the world in analytical terms and likes to like tailor everything to their own narrative, which I know is a criticism of him, but it's like, that's not how this works.
0: It's, it's it's not how it works at all. And there are plenty of people that if that was the, how it worked, then just being in a cover band would mean that you learned how to be a great musician. And, and, you know, Lennon and Cartney, yeah, they played in Hamburg for all that time, but how much of that time did they spend writing songs versus how much time did they spend, like, getting wasted and chasing skirts, which, I mean, I'm not ju- not judging them for at all, but, yeah, I mean, that, that, I feel like that argument has been pretty well debunked by now, and for every Tiger Woods, There's uh, another golfer or person who was like emotionally crippled by their parents because they tried to force them into some sort of expertise from too young an age. I mean, this, this is not a a Malcolm Gladwell argumentative podcast and it sounds like we're totally on the same page, but I fucking hate that guy. Make sure to subscribe to Ryan's other (laughs) podcast. Gladwell,
1: Gladwell goes down. Gladwell hate (laughs) the podcast. Yeah. I don't know. It's like anyone who's ever, if you've spent any time writing music and just getting a sense of how that works, of course, if for for repetition and, and all of that has a lot to do with it, but it's just like the idea that that explains the Beatles is just it's so it's, it's like angering to me as someone who loves the Beatles as much.
0: So what are your favorite songs on these Beatles albums?
1: They're writing basically radio ready pop tunes at this time that's like what they're setting out to do you know the Beatles like they cannot help but write the write this way this is just like these guys have this in them and they basically subvert their own ability to do that to make more interesting music in the years that follow like by by the next year we're gonna end up in like rubber soul and revolver and sergeant peppers and stuff and it's like just think about the music that's on that that's that's those are all three years in a row and you know this about me like i'll take an eight days a week i'll take a hard day's night i love that stuff like that that all has its place to me but when you hear a song like um i'll follow the sun
0: you can hear where it's going
2: but tomorrow may rain so i'll follow the sun
0: you know, I, I, I had to have my moment earlier where I was ragging on You Can't Do That, but I actually really love that song. And I think that actually fits into what you're talking about and that it's actually like very kind of different tempo-wise and, and just sort of attitude-wise from the other songs that they write. And I really love the drum fill that Ringo plays um, right after, right, right in the course of the song where it goes, Em, cause I told you before, kaku ga. Kuka. And it, it just gets me going every time um all right well same same question but for the rolling stones on
1: these albums is there anything what's what's a favorite song of yours
0: having dived in these the song that has been stuck in my head the most is if you need me by the rolling stones off of 12 by 5
3: if you need
0: Um, and and as I've sort of had the option to listen to all four of these albums and dissect them and try to compete them against each other, I will say that 12 by 5 has actually been the album that I've like listened to the most. And I've been like, hmm, I don't know that it's like a perfect record or anything like that up and down. Um, the one thing you can say about the Rolling Stones in this time period, yes, they're, they're not really the songwriters that they would become. I feel like Mick is almost fully formed. The the power of Mick in his swagger, his sexiness. These days, darling, it won't be long.
3: You're gonna come through that door. And I know in my mind, these are the very words you're gonna say to me.
0: I think that's something that's definitely different about the Rolling Stones as compared to the Beatles, is I think Mick Jagger is a big part of that and in his I don't know if this band would, would have made it very far without having him as a front man, even though, you know, it's now now when you're talking about the Rolling Stones, of course you're talking about Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and you, you got to mention Brian Jones or whatever. But I, I, I have to imagine at the time that if I'm like a record exec and I'm looking at this band of white guys from London playing blue songs, like, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if someone probably pitched like, Hey, why don't you just become a solo artist? Yeah, but they come in a real hurry as just as a band. Like
1: that—that's next year, though. I mean, that's.
2: It
1: is. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I I love the song "Tell Me" on um, the Rolling Stones album. I talked about this. Yeah. Last week, but, and that's them writing their song. And I I would honestly guess that the people producing putting this record together wouldn't consider this that song to be. What they were going for What they'd have in mind for a band like The Rolling Stones at that time as they were Seen and like looking at it now Like almost every single song on, on That Rolling Stones album Is about Two two minutes and twenty seconds Long and that song's four and a half Four, four minutes five seconds like It's a different thing and it's a, but it really To me is an indicator of what's to come I Want you
3: back Again, I want your love again.
1: How many, all right, here's a question. How many um, Rolling Stones movies
0: during this year were nominated for Best Picture Academy Awards? Uh, I'm going to say none. How many of the Beatles movies that were nominated this year have you seen?
1: I've seen the trailer for one. (laughs) <laughs> and it was nominated for academy award and how dare you use that off the record uh intel on me
0: on <laughs> <podcast>. <laughs> i just so hard day's night was nominated for an academy what for a soundtrack um i had that wrong so what it was
1: they they were nominated for best original screenplay which is which ain't nothing
0: what yeah that is that must have been a really shitty again the fact that it works at all is like amazing the 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 actual writing of the movie the, the like script and the it, that that is nuts to me that must have been a horrible oscar year all right well let me hit
1: let me hit you with a question if if a journalist asks one of the members of the beatles i know it's not john or paul I, it's either ringo or george which seems insane that i can't remember which one of those two it is but uh the, he's asked are you a mod or a rocker what's his answer
0: uh does he answer one of those two or does he say something else he says something cheeky uh uh, i can't remember but i knew it wasn't one of those two things are you a mod or a rocker no i'm a mocker oh my god (laughs) (laughs) okay
1: so this year 1964 this is the year the beatles are everywhere like it blows up. I mean, it's early in the year, first half of the year when they end up on Ed Sullivan, which it's insane that I haven't talked more about that because that alone is like, honestly, the Beatles only play those, that handful of songs on Ed Sullivan that already, you could, I could argue with none of the albums that that is still more important than everything the Rolling Stones this year did this year, independent of how good, how nice the music is, everything like that. Um, when you see them on camera bopping around with their little like muffs, messed up hairdos and stuff like that, to, I think they are, they're not being super subversive, but it's different than what's there. And they are all genuinely kind of charming and unscripted and f- kind of funny, not in a way that's trying to offend, but is still not directly answering the questions of reporters in the way that I think that they would expect them to be answered. I, I genuinely appreciate it and think it's, it's beautiful.
0: I do appreciate Lennon's just like unabashed disdain for the press and just the idiotic questions that they get answered. And I did see something recently where it was uh, a question that a r- reporter had asked John, where they were like, well, what, what do you think about people uh, people who don't like your hair? And John's like, oh, people don't like our hair. And he's like, well, some people think it's un-American. And he's like, well, that's very observant of them because we're not American. <laughs> uh, so I, I appreciate that kind of banter and back and forth. I I feel like of all the things that, you know, I, I, again I have to come at this from some from some kind of negative point of view or some kind of like uh, persuasive point of view. The The Beatles' performances, their look, their songwriting—that's all aged well. One thing that has not aged that well—that is on very big display in the Ed Sullivan show is the, the woos. I feel like the woos have not aged well. I feel, I feel like it's a little tiresome at this point, especially compared to all these other great songs that they wrote. What do you think?
1: Ed Sullivan show. You can, you can set that aside. Like I, I it's really, they're playing those songs from these albums on that show. And the songs on these albums are like, like we talked about last time, they're candy. They're serving you up candy. And um I, I think this is a good way to kind of round out our conversation right now. And 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 I actually like this is for for people listening, this is like last week we talked kind of just together about 1963 and everything before. This is our first like dig our heels in and, and like debate this stuff. And so I actually kind of like that it's like you you pick your times to poke, but also like make a point to acknowledge some stuff. And so I'm going to acknowledge some Beatles stuff right now. Um, I listened through today while I made my dinner and I've listened to this stuff off and on for the last few days. And we're going to do that every week. we listen to these things. Every week we record these, we're going to listen back. And uh, I listened through hard days, night and Beatles for sale. And got to say, by the time you're done, you are very much done with them. You're like, all right. I've I got it. I get it, dude. Like, how many earworms can you like plant into my brain? And if you like, pour yourself like a glass of whiskey and listen to the Rolling Stones self titled and twelve by five, it's not going to have that same effect on you. It's going to kind of you're just going to kind of enjoy some nice guitar tones, the occasional popular blues song, and then a lot of other ones who feel a little deeper cut. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna kind of wash over you in the background and just like, feel good. And and so what you're describing on the Ed Sullivan show, I think is an extension of that. Like, you get, you get, a, you get so many of these hits and you're like, okay, buddy, I'm good. And honestly, good thing in the years that are ahead for the Beatles, it doesn't happen that way.
0: I I would definitely agree with that. And the, the Rolling Stones are really hard to critique this year. Um, besides the obvious, which is like, you guys didn't fucking write any of these songs and also these albums weren't that successful, nor are they like terribly memorable. But so the Beatles critiques are much more specific. And um, one of the critiques that I would have of um, this year that I feel like will be a running critique as long as I'm arguing against the Beatles is there's lots of bands that have, in the history of the world, that have just not let their drummer sing ever. And so, you know, I I, I don't think, I don't understand the impetus to be like, we have two of the greatest songwriters and singers and harmonizers ever. Uh, Let's throw Ringo a song.
1: I'm not going to try and make any argument about Ringo being on the level of the rest of the songwriters in that band, especially John and Paul. But I'm going to, Ringo songs have their place. I don't know if it sounds insulting if I say that some of the place that they have or that like I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and they like uh yellow submarine and octopus's garden. Um I don't know what that exactly means,
0: but there's, I think thing. it means exactly what you just said. I, it, it's self-explanatory.
1: R- R- Ringo has, has a, a th- I mean, he has a, plenty to offer on the drums. He has a lot to offer on the drums. And I know that like, that's not, I'm not trying to like, argue that he's like the the show-offy dude from led zeppelin or something like that which <laughs> deli- to whose name i'm deliberately just not saying son of a
0: bitch <laughs> i can't believe you would do because. that to the person's name's not coming to my mind
1: because i want because i want hate mail but uh i don't know i don't i don't actually i genuinely don't actually feel that way i know i would feel that way if i judge him on the on a if i put him up against john lennon and paul McCartney, but i'm Not going to do that. Okay, and now we're going to get a third opinion on this. I have Stephen Daniel Arnoff um, joining me. He is the host of Bob Dylan About Man and God and Law, also a podcast on the Pantheon Network. Stephen, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great, Justin. Glad to join you. Okay, who you got? I'll uh, reveal my cards here and say, say that for 64, for me, the question is not Beatles Stones, it's Beatles Dylan because I'm going to put them neck and neck, you know, and pound for pound in 65, 66, and 67 um, as the crown kings. Okay. Not just of pop music and pop culture, but all of culture. Cause when you play out the next 50 years from this point where Dylan is saying the times they are changing, it is, it is these two figures that may do more to change culture as we know it than any figures anywhere in the cultural landscape. And, um, and I love the Stones, but but I don't think you can make a case for the world's greatest rock and roll band actually changing the world. Um, but as uh, John Lennon said, right, that he still believed that rock and roll could change the world. Dylan and Beatles are examples of how, you know, you've got an anecdote here on both sides of the story, right? You've got a a Dylan anecdote and a and a Beatles anecdote. So the Dylan Dylan anecdote, which is which is pretty well known, is he tells that he he tells a story that he's driving across the country in 1964. He's listening to the radio. He says he's in Colorado. I don't know if there's any, uh, you know, spiritual significance to Colorado. This was well before the legalization of what Dylan would soon turn the, the Beatles on to. <laughs> I want to I hold old comes on the radio. And Dylan's just completely floored. All right. He says that um, he remarks on the, the Beatles chords, the chords they're using, that this blew his mind. Um, the harmonies and and he describes this this revolution in music. The way that Jimi Hendrix and Bruce Springsteen and Pete Townsend and Joni Mitchell will later will, will just a year or two later describe hearing like a Rolling Stone or positively for fourth, uh, fourth Street. Uh, Dylan is floored. Okay, and and this is a guy Dylan who wrote in his high school yearbook that he wanted to be in Richard Little Richard's band as his ultimate goal of life. And we know that the Beatles, right, shared this just rapture for for early rock and roll. Yeah. But, but Dylan goes to American roots. He follows Woody Guthrie. Um, you know, he comes out the other end by 1964. The phrase uh, "the voice of his generation" is 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 coined and and applied to him. And and it was the Beach Boys, and it was the Beatles, and it was others who actually, I think. Uh, forced Dylan into understanding happily, right? That he needs a band, and and the band that he's going to have uh, a year later, um, a year or so later, is the band, right? Formerly yep. the Hawks. Um, the Beatles had stuck with rock and roll for the most part, and he, and here's the crossroads. Dylan hears "I Want to Hold Your Hand," and he is going to shift his focus into band-oriented rock and roll his music's going to sound a lot more like the stones and the beatles though, right? Because it's going to be bluesier, um it's going to be uh more roadhouse. Um there's there's some beautiful melodic work, but but he's really playing um a brand of rock and roll that the stones are going to um brand as as being, you know, heart of rock and roll. Um and the beatles lyrically are going to go from I want to hold your hand in a year to Revolver. You're gonna have Eleanor Rigby, uh, in, in a year, and yeah. and and then you're gonna have Norwegian Wood, and eventually you're gonna have, you know, in in the end, the love you you take is equal to the love you make. The lyrical focus of the Beatles is gonna get so much deeper and broader and wider, and it's not just because Dylan got them high in a London hotel room for the first time, although we can make a case for that as well, <laughs> but, right? But because the, the, um, lyrical cultural possibilities of rock and roll just crack wide open because of Dylan. And, and 64 is, is when it's going to happen, but it's a mutual cracking open because it is the Beatles in a large part, the beach boys, Dylan talks about the animals. Uh, but it is, it is bands making, um, melodic rhythmic, uh, choices with layered music that are going to change dylan uh, as a performer so to that end if we play the whole story out and ask again you know what's the question it's the meeting place in 64 of dylan and the beatles that has the deepest uh most long the longest lasting impact on music in the world the stones are just going to keep getting better and better and you know (laughs) because of the cultural um uh, you might even say spiritual focus, uh, lyrical focus that Dylan brings into the Beatles and the Beatles do magic with. Uh, that then the Stones can, um, you know, create a song like "Gimme Shelter," which you know maybe is the greatest rock and roll song of all time. It's the Beatle-Dylan combination that makes the landscape for the Stones that much richer, that much wider.
1: Yeah. So in '64, those those boys are paving that road.
2: They're paving that road um, and they're they're charting the map and they're setting up the toll booths and they're, um, you know, making the playlists and uh, open up the windows by yeah. down the convertible top. And there it goes. Yeah. And that's she- when rock and roll just really takes over world culture.
1: Super cool. Well, Stephen. And so Stephen is joining us from Jerusalem right now. So it's 11 o'clock for me and what, seven for you?
2: Um well let's see it's 9:15 a.m. I'm okay. I'm a day ahead of you and I can tell you that um it's it's getting better all the time.
1: Quite <laughs> <so>. <laughs> nice. Okay so Stephen Daniel Arnoff, the host of Bob Dylan about man and god and law I think you got a good sampling of the uh knowledge and expertise you're going to find on that show. Stephen where can people find you and where can they find the podcast?
2: You can find us at mangodlaw.com. That's where uh, the writing lives, the links to the podcast live. The podcast is everywhere podcasts are found, of course, on pantheonpodcast.com, where we all live and uh, create all these beautiful uh, podcasts for music lovers. So it's a lot of fun to team up up with you and uh, to talk music. Look forward to doing it again sometime.
1: Awesome. Same to you. Um, Okay. Good day to you and good night to me.
2: That's right. Good. You say hi and I say low. You say (laughs) good night and I say, well, good morning. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I've got a
3: feeling, a feeling deep inside. Oh,
0: yeah. Go listen to the record, the, the version of the song Kansas City that was recorded by Dion who is also a popular recording artist from around this time. Um, and it'll make you never want to listen, in my opinion, will never want to listen to Paul McCartney version again because it's so much better. Um, and I don't know that you can say that about a lot of the Rolling Stones songs on these other ones. Um, I obviously already <laughs> eviscerated the rock and roll music cover. Maybe that's why they didn't have more covers on these albums. Maybe they were forced to write their own original music uh, because they just couldn't do justice to the songs that they wanted.
1: What a horrendous argument. Oh, <laughs> just, a, just, a, just a horrendous place to come from or something.
0: Um, I got to come from somewhere. This is not the easiest <laughs> hill to die on. Yeah. Uh, a couple a couple little facts. I should have said
1: these earlier, but just uh, a couple little facts about like this year. This is mostly from the Beatles, but it applies to the Rolling Stones too. Is uh, And this was on a documentary I watched recently can't remember what though is that so george martin has like a quote about how the plan at this point was an album every six months and a single every three months and so that's why like you put out hard day's night with a movie with these gigantic tours in the united states and australia and then back to the united states and then england and all that and then still feel like you need to put out Beatles for sale at the end of the year. Like, you don't need to put out Beatles for sale then, but it, it's such a different time.
2: I give her all my love, that's all
0: I do, and if you saw my love, you'd love her too. I mean, we just had the Beatles one album and that was (laughs) the totality of the Beatles albums we had until I got to college. But
1: an interesting thing about like what I talked about, like with myself and my wife and like the, the like eras of the Beatles that we connected with is I, so we eventually got the Beatles one album, like for Christmas, one of our family members, like, I don't know if I got it for a parent or they, it was in, I don't remember how, but it ended up in our house on a Christmas morning actually. And, uh, but prior to that the the main beatles album you saw or at least the main beatles beatles like cd that i saw was like the double the double disc like blue greatest hits one
0: yeah like the anthology
1: yeah the anthology but that's that's anthology part two there's there's the red version of that where they're younger and it's anthology part one and my wife had that and Mm. i had that blue one and it's like kind of insane that they both have they have this like two double album anthology thing and um i don't know i just never had i i came to all that stuff later kind of as i went on my own little journey in, into pop music but
0: and, and to me now like having a fuller view of their entire catalog i'm like why did that song i mean you know obviously people like it or they request it or whatever but there's like three or four songs over here that i think are better than this song but m- much fewer people know about I mean, they probably
1: just didn't know that you were going to be born yet and that they needed to like build these things so that they
0: pleased you. That's right. I mean, I don't know why they didn't. Isn't that how you view everything, your your lens through everything in the world is is whether or not it pleases you? Um, Increasingly so is, yeah. So another,
1: so speaking of that, what a, just a beautiful segue is (laughs) the At this time, 1964, is when basically the baby boomer generation is becoming teenagers. So all of these, like these super catchy Beatles songs that are writing It's basically like teenagers became the dominant like population in the culture like suddenly It's like weird to think of things this way, but suddenly the majority of the population is young teenagers just by pure numbers and that's all that Beatle mania stuff that's kind of like the like flashpoint for that and that's fascinating to me
0: i mean that kind of takes me back to the like woos thing and and with that i associate the like paul mccartney head banging head swaying like hair flipping (laughs) and that i think you know again you can sit down and look at these songs and be like these are great songs there's no doubt but there's a part of me that's just like turned off by it because the audience reaction to it again feels so fake. And I wasn't a teenager in 1964. I wasn't a baby boomer, but it almost just feels like in hindsight. And I've watched my fair share of Beatles documentaries or whatever. It feels like people just wanted something to be excited about. And this was just what's there. And they just happened to be great songwriters, but I don't know that the girls who were like screaming themselves hoarse really cared that much about the key change in, you know, this or that song
1: you're way overthinking it they're there doing it they're sitting there doing it they're going nuts there they
0: can't even hear him though they're nuts. screaming their they're screaming their lungs out It's how much they love it they love it so much that they can't even hear it they love That's, it i terrific. mean this is the beatles themselves like reacted to this negatively and stopped touring because you know people loved them too much they loved them too much can you love something too much what 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 you need to know is that, and I know deep down in in the cockles
1: of your heart you get this, but like this became a conversation about the Beatles in 1964. It, that was the only way this was ever going to go, and that that is the way it should go.
0: That's fine. That that I, I'm fine with that. I'm just telling you and the world that um, after this podcast is over, I'm going to go listen to 12 by 5, and I'm going to drink that glass of whiskey. And I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna hang out with Mick Jagger because that's who I want to hang out with. You're gonna stroll around your kitchen like swinging your hips and like just hell yeah, feeling real sexy about yourself. And just talking about you know I I mean I'm a, a married man in a committed relationship, but uh, I guess that actually does explain more so why I just don't have time for songs like I'll cry instead. <laughs> I'll just cry instead. <laughs> like oh I mean it. it maybe teen culture has changed so much i'd be interested to to hear from a teenager maybe we get a teenager for this podcast episode like does this stuff still talk to you speak to you you listen to if i fell does that still like reach you
1: i i'm here to tell you the teens are getting real sad in in their music still that's that's a tradition that's fully alive and well
0: well, that's fine i i i believe that i'll buy that they're,
1: they're a little more they're a little more articulate with like the like um types of depression and anxiety that they're dealing with and like but i'm and- not
0: I'm, I'm not talking <laughs> about sad songs i'm not talking about emo music i mean i'm just saying like the beatles specifically like these types of of to use your word from from the last podcast Saccharin, um lovey-dovey um it just feels like There's an inordinate amount of like self pity on these these two Beatles albums. It's not it's undeniable. There is, especially when you kick off Beatles for Sale with No Reply and then I'm a Loser. That's just back to back whiny Lennon songs. But. You know, I, I can't I can't really argue like the, the Beatles won this year. This I think there's a case to be made from a success standpoint that this is like the most successful year the Beatles ever had.
1: Probably right, yeah.
0: In that sense,
1: like they could have had more successful years like that had they stayed exactly on that path. But instead, like they probed deeper creative spaces and um, obviously became basically the biggest band ever so it's not like they like turned away from like pop stardom but
0: they did not just keep writing these songs you know and an interesting corollary to that or like an example to look at of like how that would have worked out is the beach boys um to an extent where you literally had two factions. like imagine if this this band had moved forward and i mean imagine if john lennon is sitting here being like we need to write you know more experimental songs we need to write revolution number nine and paul McCartney's like i just want to write silly love songs that's kind that's kind of the story of the beach boys is that and it was exasperated by them going out on tour and and brian uh Wilson being able to be in the studio by himself, but when they came back and, and Mike Love heard these songs, he's like, what the fuck is this dude? Write The hits. Yeah. Like no (laughs) one wants to hear this pet sounds bullshit, right? Surf and safari.
1: No, it's a different, it's a different road. And, and as you say that, that's a, it's pretty impressive to think really with both these bands that, that the Beatles kind of seem to aid to grow in that way together And the Rolling Stones, I mean, they blossom into that coming into this next year or two, which, all right, so let's look ahead, 1965, The Beatles Make Help, which feels like a, a, like sort of a continuation of this 64, but looking a little further, and then Rubber Soul, which I feel like is a big, a big moment. And then the Rolling Stones have English releases and American releases and all that. Rolling Stones, number two, Out of Our Heads, Rolling Stones Now, December's Children. Next week, I'm representing the Beatles again. Uh, we drafted all of these in our initial episode, and Ryan will take the Rolling Stones. I, and- yeah,
0: I mean, I'm here for Out of Our Heads. I love that album. I've loved that album for a long time. That's got some good stuff on it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm 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 looking forward to continuing my contrarian ways, and then
1: in the, the year after that, I switch over to the to the Rolling
0: Stones. So I want to make
1: very clear that uh, as we said in the intro to this, we both love both these bands.
0: All right. Well, that, that was fun, Ryan. That was fun. I will see you in
3: 1965. Well, you it's NFL draft season. And that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.